Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Fool. I'm your host, Chris Amador. This podcast is a tribute to the people I've met along my journey and to their stories. I've learned a lot from all of them, and I'm really grateful. This conversation is with Mike. He was a customer while I was working as a bud tender, and even though we spoke briefly that day, he seemed like a great guy. I invited him to be on the show, and I'm happy that he accepted. Mike is a deeply empathetic, conscientious man who thinks about how his actions can affect people for the better. But he lets go every now and then to EDM. I really enjoyed talking to Mike and getting to know him, and so will you. Hope you enjoy this episode. And so it begins. Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate this. How are yeah, you? Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for having me on. So what was your journey like to marijuana? Uh, well, it was pretty early. I uh, started in high school. I uh, yeah. went to a boarding school. And uh, as you could expect, uh, we had a little bit more freedom at the boarding school, you know, not being with our parents and everything. So, uh, you know, that was kind of a general thing people would do would be either smoke or drink, you know, casually. Uh, so I was a pretty straight edge kid beforehand, uh, before, you know, I smoked and I, I tried it a couple times, didn't really think much of it and then tried a couple more times and I really liked it. So it was just kind of more of me playing around with it and experimenting at that point. It wasn't until much later that I realized, uh, how valuable it was to me, um, in many different ways. So, um, so how did it help you? What was the value? Uh, well, I think the value uh, is a kind of, I've always been an anxious person to begin with, uh, mm-hmm. or, you know, may- maybe it started developing, I started getting more anxiety uh, in my teens and stuff. Uh, but marijuana kind of helped me um, see that a little bit more and deal with the anxiety. Sometimes it wasn't, sometimes the marijuana was the source of the anxiety, to, to be honest, you know, depending, <laughs> on, depending on what kind of strain I got, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. But at the same time, it kind of helped me learn a little bit about uh, myself and my emotions and how to deal with that uh, just uh, in an introspective way. Um, you, know, you know, that's a consensus with every, every sonar I've ever met is, is that it's very introspective. It's helped mm-hmm. me understand me, myself. It kind of slows your thinking down so you're able to, to get a different look about yourself, to, to look at yourself a little bit more. And um, Was that the same for you? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't until a little bit later that started happening, but I definitely would attribute it to the marijuana itself, uh, that it definitely started bringing those thoughts about of, like you said, making me kind of look within myself a little bit more. Um, things that I was happy about or wasn't happy about, whatever it was. Uh, but yeah. So being at a boarding school, what what was that like? Was there a lot more pressure on you for academics or... Uh, it was a college preparatory school, so the, the thought was, you know, we get the best grades we could get, and then you get into, you know, a really good college. Um, so, yeah, there was, you know, there's always, I think, pressure for a lot of kids to get good grades and want to be able to graduate and get into a good college. So, but at that point in my life, I was doing pretty well with my grades, um, so I didn't feel too much pressure. Uh, everyone was there for kind of different reasons. We had a large hockey team. So a lot of them were recruited from Canada and they were their own crowd. Uh, you know, there was people from Asia. They, uh, the school would um, go over to uh, a lot of kids were from South Korea. So um, one of the assistant headmaster would make trips over to South Korea from time to time and, you know, talk to people over there and explain to them how great our school was. 
Um, and then you had other kids just like myself that were there uh, for, you know, either going to boarding schools their whole life or in my choice, I actually wanted to go to a boarding school. Um, I had been to a private uh, choir school when I was very, very young, like eight or nine years old in Manhattan. So I kind of already knew what the experience was about in a sense of how it was being away from home and in that sense. Um, but I just didn't really like the look of what the public high school was looking like at the time. Um, there's, you know, a lot of reports of drug use and STDs and, you know, people struggling in grades. And so I, I just was like, you know what, maybe I'll just try and something different. And my parents were willing to send me. So let me try this. And that was my story of why I decided to go there. Well, I mean, it sounds like a fantastic choice. Uh, it ended up being, yeah, it ended up, I think, really shaping me as a person. I never would have learned some, uh, you know, the social experiences in the boarding school were had to be much different, I think, than that of a public school. Uh, you know, we're all living together. Um, so you get to know people a little bit different. Um, and then we had smaller class sizes. So that was really great for extra attention for the mm -hmm. academics. So, yeah, I, I'm very happy that I went. It's funny you mentioned that about international students. Uh, I went to a public school and the experience of having to have met other people from around the world was, it was, was, um, it took, well, as you can see, it took my breath away <laughs> mm. and it took my, my speech away. Um, it was fascinating. It was fascinating to see their point of view from, you know, from Japan, from Italy. It was, it was, it was incredible. And you got to see it on a consistent basis. How, how did that change your, your point of view of the world? How did it change your view of people? Uh, it's, it's hard to say how it changed my point of view, but I, I just noticed that there were cultural differences. I think it, it just made me aware of cultural differences, really, and to understand that I might not always really know why, you know, they do things a little bit differently than us, or, you know, people might talk a little bit different, or they might... Um, you know, have different norms. I mean, an easy one is like, oh, you, you take your shoes off when you go in someone's house, you know, yeah. stuff like this, just as an example. But, uh, you know, maybe subtle, more social, cultural differences that I just understood. You know, I got to be a little bit more open-minded. And if I don't understand it, that's okay. Uh, because there was a lot. There wasn't just South Koreans. You know, there's people from Japan, China. Right. So, yeah, yeah. I think it just made me kind of step back and say, wow, there's – you know, this is just a small taste of what's in this country because this country is a melting pot to begin with. Mm -hmm. So it made me think, oh, well, you know, I got a lot to learn, you know, because yeah. I really don't know a lot about these people. And uh, just, did it make you want to travel more? Because uh, Jackie Chan yeah. once said that uh, if, if um, uh, well, what's the one thing you can't, he can't, God, I'm paraphrasing. Was one of, oh, that was, that's what it was. What's the one advice that you would give to people? And he said, travel. Mm. I would love to travel more. Yeah. I mean, it made, it definitely made me want to travel more and experience different culture. I didn't end up traveling a lot, so I can't say that I got to fulfill that just yet. Um, but I would love to, have you been around the world yourself? A few spots. Yeah. A few spots. Yeah. How, how, um, where are the places you'd like to go? I've always wanted to go to Israel mm. because, uh, you know, there's just so much history there mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, I think more so for the history of, of that place. Uh, but, you know, I like to go to Europe, um, maybe Germany. Uh, I've been to the United Kingdom and in England, and that was nice because I have some family there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, maybe even out to the Himalayas or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was always drawn to some of those countries um, and Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. So what brought you to Buddhism? Well, I can't really say I practiced that necessarily like actively, um, mm-hmm. but I think uh, it, it just seems like a, a lot of their message uh, could be applied to so many different things when it comes to uh, uh, being, you know, the mindfulness, um, the, the meditation techniques, a lot of that stuff I kind of used throughout my early years in college. And I felt it kind of helped ground me in some situations, you know, I was feeling really stressed out, especially mm-hmm. at college with grades and wanting to graduate. Um, uh, I can't necessarily say any particular instance, I'd say, well, this was really like an epiphany or something. But I just know that it's, it's something I kind of fall back on um, to ground me when I'm mm. just, you know, things aren't, you try to make sense of the world and sometimes you can't, especially times mm. like this, you know, so yeah. stuff like that is just, you know, quiet your mind. And sometimes it's just the simple things that you got to focus on and not worry too much, so to speak. Um, have you read him and children's uh, works at all? Uh, it doesn't sound familiar now. Yeah, I've only read uh, a couple small, you know, uh, Buddhist, uh, you know, guiding teachings that kind of guide you with um, their mantras and history. Mantras are a really good thing for you. I I, um, I learned Sanskrit. I'm not very good at it, but I learned Sanskrit so I can understand and, and chant mantras better. They they really do help. They really do put you in a different state. Um, well, what mantras do you do you like? Uh, mine were just mine were very simple type of things. Uh, like just a phrase I'm talking about that kind of mantra. I know that there was other little um, nuggets of information that when I would used to go to the temple uh, that they taught me that I would, I would think, you know, like it makes so much sense, but people don't kind of, they don't think about this stuff from day to day when they have interactions with other people. Mm -hmm. So just, just a quick example, I, I would, I told them, oh, you know, I, I have a commute. This was back before I was working from home more because of the coronavirus, but I uh, had a commute of about an hour and driving into Jersey and back, you know, you can imagine not everyone's the best driver and you know, people <laughs> cut you off. So, oh, yeah. yeah so, so, you know, after a while, I was just like, I was getting really frustrated. I'm a pretty patient driver to begin with, but I was just like, you know, I've had enough of this. Like, I love the job, but like this commute's really been bothering me. So, I talked to them about it and all right, uh, one of the monks there. And then she said, uh, well, think about it this way. You know, if when these things happen, you know, we have to just think that person, we don't know what they're going through, you know, sure. They could be going to a hospital. They could just be going, being reckless. You have to just focus on, I hope that person gets there safely. You know, I hope we all get there safely. If we're stuck behind somebody, thank goodness we're all being safe, getting there, you know, in a safe manner. Um, and, you know, just be careful of the animosity because it, 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 the animosity could turn on in just like a split second mm-hmm. when that person yep. cuts you off or something. It's just that jerk reaction where you're like, oh, you know, F that guy. Uh, you know, everyone wants to say that and, or think that and just not even knowing who the person is. So mm. I thought, okay, you know, th- this is going to take some practice because uh, it's like impulsive to begin with us, how we react on the road. So mm. I started, you know, practicing that, practicing that, you know, every time I get upset, I catch myself and say, you know, it's okay. You know, I don't know what they're going through. And 
let's not get upset at them. And over time, it's actually surprisingly gotten better um, driving and getting frustrated and just being able to kind of take the world as it comes. Yeah, yeah, it's very helpful that way. Um, have you seen the Louis C.K. Uh, uh, part of his act is the, uh, he talks about how he was cut off in the Lincoln Tunnel and as, as he's driving and he says to, he says to the, um, the person next to him, I, I hope you die, you know, and uh, we, we do. We just, we just get into that space of like, oh, my God. You, for me, when I get into that space, it's, a, it's like you could hurt me. You can, you're going to cause an accident. You're going to cause damage that I can't afford. You, you're going to be able to do this. And that's, that's what puts me in that state of anger and frustration and you're going to make me late for work. And yeah. like you said, that's not true. That's not yeah. true. Yeah, it's not necessarily what that person wants or even if that person had ill intentions to begin with, uh, you know, it's really just about not taking it to heart and understanding that everyone's human and not everybody's perfect and sure there's not going to be nice people out there. But at the end of the day, you just got to lead by example. Yeah, yeah. And what's that motivation for you? Which motivation in particular? To, to lead by example. What, do, you, do you have a quest to make the world a better space, a better place for everyone? Oh, well, I think uh, I, I'd hope a lot of people want that. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that, you know, what I've noticed particularly in the past couple of years is everyone's really just on edge all the time. And it seems like, you know, very insecure about ourselves. Uh, I'm just very big generalizations, obviously. I'm thinking about just the United States in my experience. For sure. But, uh, you know, I, I just think that we, we really can't worry so much about what other people think, you know, we've got to mm-hmm. just kind of let go and just uh, say, Hey, if he doesn't like some of the things that I like, or, if, uh, you know, maybe he's, he got upset at me and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever it is, uh, I just feel like people just got to feel sometimes I sound like a hippie when I say this, but we just got to relax a little bit, you know, <laughs> just got to, uh, you know, not get so worked up so easily. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I just try to, Tell that you, I feel like you can't just tell that to people. You got to kind of live it. And when they see that you're relaxed and you're competent, and even though they might, they might be anxious talking to you, like, like a new person, you know, when you mm. first meet somebody, things mm. are a little bit more anxious, but they see, Oh, well, this guy's pretty comfortable. He doesn't seem like anything to hide. And then it kind of helps them lower their guard a little bit over time. Some people takes more time than others, but I think that's what I want to see. I want to see people just, you know, not so worried, not so distressed all the time, you know, I, I cause I, I pick up those vibes a lot. Uh, I don't know if it's a curse or a blessing, you know, some, mm-hmm. some of us are more perceptive to um, behavioral cues than others. So, uh, but yeah, that's for me, uh, I guess I'm one of those people. Well, I think that's a good thing. I think we need more empathetic people in this world. And, and from, from what you're describing, that's a, that's, it didn't, it didn't sound like it, it, it it was hard for you to adapt to that mindset. It's, it seems like it came very easily to you. Well, my parents always said I was a very empathetic person and not to, you know, harp on my good qualities or anything like that, but that's kind of why I've stuck to the jobs I've stuck to, you know, trying to get better. They're usually something in healthcare and social work. Mm-hmm. So that's just kind of who I am. So I'm just going to keep being who I am and hope that, you know, it rubs off on people and understand we don't have to, uh, we don't have to make things too big of a deal if we disagree on something or, you know, if you have a bad day and get upset at me or if I make a mistake or if somebody else mm-hmm. makes a mistake, that's okay. You know, let's, let's move on, learn from it. 
So when you say you're empathetic, um, do you think that's been a betterment or a detriment to you? Oh, I, it's definitely a double-edged sword for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Um, because, you know, uh, I've met some really great people and, and some people recognize that. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like it does make a difference being empathetic, but at the same time, it's just so draining sometimes, you know, just, uh, cause they talk about it in social work. Um, can't remember what type of burnout they call it, but you mm-hmm. know, it's more of like, you know, an emotional burnout where, you know, you care about what people think, but you know, that all that empathizing, it kind of drains you after a while. And you think, wow, like there's just a point where, you know, in your mind, you're just not up for it. You know, you got to take a day or two and just relax. And uh, it's just, it's, I never would have thought that that's like a muscle, you know, mm-hmm. like in the, in the mind of trying yeah. to do that, but I guess it is. And, and, uh, and, you you've you've applied the sympathy to your career yeah yeah oh and uh so you're a social worker yeah right now i currently am a case manager for kids uh with intellectual developmental disabilities and you know, some of the kids have just other health diagnoses uh so uh, before that I've, I've been in this type of field though basically my whole life uh i did like more direct care previously as a behavior technician uh before that i was I uh, worked at a group home for people with dramatic brain injuries. Um, so I'm trying to think of some other things and maybe some other odd jobs mixed in, but that's always been my focus is kind of to stay in this field and just uh, in social work and keep helping the populations I'm helping. So the age range and the, t- and the traumatic brain injuries, what, what, what were they? Those were adults. So, you know, anyone 18 plus, but it could be like 18 to 60. It was a very wide range of people. What was the, were the injuries uh, due to abuse, sports, both? Yeah, it was just a lot of different things. Some of it was falls. Some of it was uh, motor vehicle accidents, uh, being hit by a car, falling out of a tree, you know, you name it. Wow. I've been, um, I've had I've had a lot of traumatic brain injury, <laughs> um, and uh, you know from from parachutes. From I just had a very active lifestyle at one time, and for the past three years, I've been seeing this guy, uh, Doctor Doctor Mark Gordon. Um, yeah, Doctor Mark Gordon. He's just been fantastic. He's helped me get from because I felt like I was in this hyper ADD uh, mentality. I was I was just not being able to focus, not being able to stay in one position, always antsy. Um, it, it really was ruining my life. And then I've been under his care for a while and he drew my blood work and it was a lot of vitamin deficiency. And, um, since I've been taking a lot of vitamins, my, my recovery has been fantastic. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Something as simple as that. You never, sometimes you never suspect. Yeah. Is that something you guys work with or you just kind of deal with the behavioral effects or? Well, no, I mean, we, we kind of address the needs of the child and, you know, wherever those needs are. So if it's something like that, uh, you know, it's, we might say, oh, it's behavioral at first, but then, you know, down the line, we might try certain things and realize, oh, well, you know, maybe we should talk to the pediatrician and see what they say. And then if the pediatrician says, oh, you know, we might want to get some blood work, then, you know, we recommend that to the parent and we just kind of say, well, work with the professional who has the experience in that, you know, uh, what everyone want to try and address, you know, so I'm usually um, the go-between and I coordinate the care. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so if it was something like that, then I would refer them to somebody or suggest that they reach out to their pediatrician and follow up with those things. But sometimes you don't, like you said, you might assume at first that it was just behavioral and not understand that it's, there's a medical underlying cause to it. So uh, that's a lot of the times that's part of the treatment plan. What would you want people to understand about TBI and, or, and people who have, who have um, and people, how would you want people to understand? Like, what would, is it, okay, let me put this another way. Um, when you, I'm going to go back to when you said you want to be the example. It, to me, it seems like you want to be the example, just not for yourself, but for the people you care about as well. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. I do want to be the example for them, but I'm, it's, that's tough, you know, because my position right now is just trying to, you know, delegate tasks, um, direct people to certain resources, you know, monitor to make sure if they have like a provider in the home or something, monitor, make sure that's going smoothly and that, you know, people are doing their job, which they, you know, usually are. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's, it's been a while since I worked in the group home um, and everyone has their own needs, you know? So some of these people with traumatic brain injuries, they might not have the same cognitive functioning as others. So, you know, that we might have to change our expectations for what we want to see from them. You know, it's really, I don't, that's a tough question. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I could really give a clear answer on that. I mean, yeah, the, the thing about traumatic brain injury and other, um, developmental disabilities is just that everyone's on their own level. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's what I'd say. Just don't, don't clump everybody and don't think everybody's like, you know, Timmy who has an IQ of 70 and, you know, he struggles with math. It's, it's not, everybody's like Timmy. Um, some people, everyone has their own strengths, you know, and, uh, and let's use that to better them as a person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you had a magic wand, what would you change or what would you do to make your industry or the environment you work in that much more beneficial for yourself and other people? Um, what would I change? Or improve? This, this is, yeah. Yeah. This, this is going to be, maybe some people wouldn't like it, but I would say, I almost don't want to say it, but maybe, maybe less restriction or less, uh, you know, I worry too when I say that too, because maybe less restriction could be a bad thing. You know, mm-hmm. I just know how many tasks and I know how it takes a lot of people to sometimes just get one thing done and it has to go through a lot of different stages. And I understand that there's reasons for that, but at the same time, I also see the other end of it where, you know, I understand that sometimes things take longer because of that, or, you know, I feel like the care could be a little bit um, more efficient, you know, in how we do our jobs if, if some of these systems were updated. Actually, you know, now that I think about it a little bit more, just a good example would be some of the technology we use. Uh, okay. we're, still, we're still using Internet Explorer. <laughs> and, wow. Yeah. I suck at computers, and I know that's old. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. You know, I never used to think Internet Explorer was that unstable. Yeah. But it does crash. and uh, But then again, I'm not an IT guy, so I can't necessarily say the best browser to use. But uh, I just know that, well, starting at the essentials of, you know, what we do to complete our task, which is the Internet and, you know, online databases and stuff, if we can make that stuff run smoothly and quickly and for us to get through the plans and, and not, uh, you know, have everything... Uh, 
laid out in a very user-friendly manner, which, you know, it, I've seen worse. Um, but I think if we improve those things, that we could do our job more efficiently. You know, it's funny you say that because at work, we just, we've updated our computers. And, there, and before, there was a 20 to 30 second wait time for the, for the receipt to print out. And we all just were standing there just like, we got to get this order out. We're really busy. And just by updating it, it just makes everything so much better. Yeah. So much more efficient. And then you're right, there's more care. So what, if you had a pot of gold, would you just like, just get rid of all the, like, what, what is every, what's it going to take for, for the system to change so everybody can get their care? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, well, I, it would probably be a combination of things, you know, stuff like the technology, but other things like, well, you know, we also have to have, you know, a lot of care managers because the demand goes up. Um, and then on top of that, other providers, you know, we, we have a lot of providers that will come in. Um, the job isn't always the best paying job. So, you know, it's like a go-between job for a lot of people. So they'll, they'll come in and maybe work for a year with their company. And some of these kids need longer term care than that and they build like a great rapport with the kid let's say over they get in like three months before mm -hmm. they leave mm -hmm. and they build a great rapport with the kid and they start making really good progress and like that's such a great point and you know then they leave for another company or things happen i understand that so it's just an example so then they leave the company and then we see regression you know uh, we have to just try and find a new provider so stuff like that, uh, but then you, you know we get into the big state budget, and I don't even know where, where to begin with that stuff. Uh, I really don't know enough about it to be able to dissect um, how they re should readjust the budget. I have no mm -hmm. idea. What do well, you think? I mean, how is how are things up there in Massachusetts? Um, I don't know. <laughs> as far so as I know, it's 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 running more. Things are pretty efficient up here. Oh, okay. Um, but um, you know, so be. So how's the situation with, with health care and everything? How's it changed uh, with the coronavirus? Well, you know what? I, I got to say, I was pleasantly surprised. It's the one time where I was expecting, like, I was a little worried, you know, mm -hmm. um, because we, we had to go all remote. And it was like, okay, how much is the state going to be flexible with Medicaid and getting things passed and approved? And they didn't miss a beat, as far as I could tell. Cause we went remote and it was like almost seamless, mm. you know, besides some tech glitches and stuff that we had to work out with our, uh, you know, on our end, yeah. um, but which that was expected. But as far as like getting authorizations approved and saying, you know, you know, typically we have to see families in person from one to two times a month, even though we're a case manager, mm -hmm. uh, we're just a more intensive service, but so I was worried like, oh, you know, are they going to lag on this and people are going to lose care for a month or two or, you know, what's going to happen? And they let us bill for doing virtual and it was really quick and seamless. We had to change some notes and stuff. And I was pleasantly surprised by that. Wow. Wow. I mean, so it made your, the Corona was kind of a, um, it made your job that much uh, uh more efficient, better? Did, did you prefer to the way you were working or? I definitely didn't prefer working from home, but I think what it did was it forced us as a company to uh, expand our horizon a little bit and dive mm -hmm. into remote work and that, uh, you know, so of course, companies might be a little apprehensive, you know, they're worried, are people going to 
still work from home as efficiently and, and be productive and, and get things done. Uh, but it, I think it forced us as a company and probably a lot of other companies now to say, okay, let's kind of go outside our box a little bit outside of our comfort zone and try, you know, something, um, what do they call it? You know, something new and different and, and see if it works. We were forced into it, but it, it, is, it is working and people are still getting care. It's not the same type of care because we don't get the in-person visits. We started going back recently, mm-hmm. I think at the end of July, but, uh, and people do like that face-to-face interaction. So it's understandable, but we still were able to produce results and people were still able to see providers, whether it be mm-hmm. virtual or in person. So yeah, yeah, it was good. Uh, well, a lot of the office buildings um, are really hurting. The trillion-dollar industry of, the, of office spaces are basically going away, and most people are working from home. What, what's the data on that? How is that going to affect um, how we work? Can we be more productive? Can we not mm. be more productive? So what's the data on that? I'd like to, I'd like to know the same thing because uh, I think it's really going to depend on the indus- uh, industry, that the mm-hmm. business is in, you know, who they're operating with. Um, someone like us, we could probably do like a hybrid. I, I think that they're going to want to keep our full office space. Uh, you know, we have cars and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do talk to other people and certain companies that are saying, oh, you know, we're going to terminate the lease and we're going to move to a smaller building and use less space and have, you know, maybe have half the people work remote. So I know people are definitely going to be restructuring. I don't know what kind of scale that's going to be. I would imagine it's going to be pretty big. Yeah. I mean, do you think it's going to make people more antisocial because they're not, there's not a lot of social interaction like you would get from work? Uh, not anti, I'm sorry, not antisocial, but more um, socially anxious. That's what I'm looking for. Would it be more people who develop social anxiety more because they're just not working together as much because they're working from home? I think perhaps if the person has, you know, uh, is already anxious to begin with, or they have a predisposition to something like that, it could exacerbate it. Uh, yeah, it might be a concern to think about as a company, maybe companies should think about that, you know, like, Oh, what are, what are going to be the social and emotional repercussions of this decision, which I, I don't really know how, how many companies think about that stuff. Really? I don't know. What do you think? I mean, they definitely have to, th- I mean, it's a trillion dollar industry and they're about to, they're about to crash and they, they got to save their necks. So are they going to come up with, uh, find the proper research that working from home is better for people and then great because I mean, I, I commute pre-corona, it took me 40 minutes to get to work and now post-corona it takes me during the week, an hour because of traffic. So- so more people, more traffic now than before? It, there, there, there's more people and they're driving a lot slower. Oh, that's interesting. Huh. Yeah, a lot slower, a lot more like 40, 45, and a 55. And they're just not aware that it's a 55. That's what's pretty scary wow. is, yeah. That's so odd. I, yeah, I see people shutting down quite a bit as far as like you know, when you get on the roads and stuff, they just don't pay attention. It's weird. Um, well, that that's... <laughs> I'm I'm always concerned when it comes to drivers on the road, and that sounds bad, but yeah. I don't know. It could be uh, maybe maybe it's uh, just in your area. I don't. I doubt it, but I, I really don't have an explanation for that. I didn't think I'd see as much traffic as I saw now, though. After wow. you know, because because think about it. Still, there are a lot of people without jobs too that aren't going to them. So, you know, I'm, I just wasn't expecting it. I was expecting still a little bit less than we see now. But 
the people were really coming out of the woodwork. How far do you live from um, New York City? Uh, about two hours from Manhattan. Two. Oh, you do? Oh, so you're way yeah. south. Uh, I'm on the I'm on like the northeast of uh, corner of PA, where it intersects with New York State and New Jersey. Oh, okay. What was that? Yeah. What was that like growing up there? It was quiet. It was a quiet town. Not really much to do. Uh, you know, it was good. It was a good life growing up. Yeah. Um, was were there? What were your interests growing up as a kid? The sports, uh, books. Uh, it was video games, golf. Uh, I used to play the piano for I don't know seven years or something like that. Uh, so, uh, but I was more of an introvert at that age. You know, I, I didn't have many friends. I kept to myself more. So, but I did like you know all the stuff I did, like especially the piano. Mm-hmm. Have you ever played uh, played live? Yeah, I had had some recitals, which were nerve wracking. <laughs> but yeah, I did those. Well, it must be a it must be a challenge for an introvert to be able to perform. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely like I said, it was I was like sweating. So most of the time, I played worse, you know, obviously in front of a huge group of people than when I was just playing at my house or something, or even just for a couple people. Uh, but you know what? Really, what people really enjoy about somebody when they play an instrument is they can tell the difference when you play the song and let's say you follow every single note, right? You, you follow all the crescendos, right? When you're supposed to get loud, you get loud. When you're supposed to get soft, when you're supposed to fade just right. But when you put emotion into the music, they're like, wow, like they, they can just tell that they, they, they know the difference. Mm-hmm. And I know the difference too, when I listen to musicians. So I, I still have a great appreciation for it. Do you, uh, do you like jazz? On occasion. I don't think it's really? my first choice. Yeah. That's a very emotional, uh, uh, I think it's incredibly emotional. I, I usually listen to jazz to relax. Really? To be honest. Yeah. Is that, what was that one of your top genres, would you say? Oh God, yes. I'm obsessed. And <laughs> <laughs> unhealthy. And it's really unhealthy. I'm obsessed with jazz. It, it's just, yeah, I'm pretty obsessive dude when it comes to jazz. And I, have, you, I have, do you have a record player too? You know, when the day will come, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for a lot of downloads so I can get the record player and get all that stuff. I, they're hard to find now, right? I, I don't know. I, I haven't been looking because I, every time I look and I can't afford it, I cry. So um, I had no idea they were so expensive. Yeah. I mean, you, they weren't before. I think just people now are staying home. They want the home theater set up. It's yeah. like um, I, I decided to, because I thought, oh, I'll just be home for a while. I'll, I'll order some kettlebells or something, some home exercise equipment. Mm. Kettlebells have been sold out for months. I just heard that the other day. Yeah, they were trying to find, uh, or dumbbells and stuff. They're all No, they're it's sold taken. out. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I managed to get a couple of mace bells. Uh, they're interesting. So... Um, and then get a wall bar to get, get a wall bar and put that up and do some stretches and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's just been, it's been interesting. Yeah. I, I love jazz. I love jazz a lot. And, uh, um, but classical music is definitely something I listen to quite a bit. Um, especially when I, I want to concentrate and write. So do you, what, what are your interests in music? Uh, well, I've grown into the EDM culture, so oh, <laughs> my, yeah. My, my, yeah, I swung like way over in a whole another field with that wow. stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I just love it, EDM. I don't really know what else to say. I mean, I'm just, uh, 
I don't know. I just, there's something about that music. Like you, it just makes you go through emotions. Like you just listen to the music. It takes you away. And especially for EDM. But what is a, what's the acronym stand for? Oh, sorry. Uh, electronic dance music. It's very pulsing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's got the heavy bass and everything. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, uh, a coworker used to uh, play it. At, uh, at, w- at work and it, it started hurting my head because <laughs> I, I, I like I said before I had traumatic brain injury and the pulsing just was hurting my head a lot yeah um, well he must have been playing it kind of loud then right or is it or are you just quite a bit more sensitive now I'm, I'm ridiculously sensitive to that stuff yeah, yeah. so my yeah. family my like I said before my family's Puerto Rican and so we've gone to I've gone to the Puerto Rican Day Parade I've gone to um, uh what was the other thing? I've gone to a couple of clubs in North Philly. Uh, no, one club with him in North Philly. And um, the music was really loud and very pulsing. And I, I had mm. to leave. I couldn't handle it. That's and a shame. I, yeah, and I just love spending time with my family. And it's, and it's hard for me to listen to any music that's really pulsating and throbbing like that. It's, it's, I'd have love to get tried, into it. What, have you tried the um, – I mean, I'm, I think you probably have. But have you tried the earplugs that they're not like the foam earplugs – but they're special earplugs that you can put in your ear that they'll let a lot of the frequencies in, but not the really low frequencies as much. So, you know, it's, it's, they, they recommend it for anyone who goes to music festivals or anything. Cause if you're going to be standing there listening for, you know, hours that you're going to get hearing, you know, damage. To- right. Right. Well, it's, um, my, I, I'm already, I'm, I'm a, I'm a mess, but, uh, <laughs> Um, my, my hearing has already been damaged from 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 a bunch of different things, um, but it's mostly I actually feel the pulsing on my brain. I actually really? feel it. I, yeah, it, it wow. actually like the the constant like boom, boom, it feels like somebody just slapping my brain. Yeah, it's it's just weird. I can't. I I, I said this and I was talking to my friend the other day. Um, I got I got eighth row uh, tickets from the court side from from the Knicks. And I, I could I couldn't make it past halftime. I had to wow. get up and leave because the the Trinitron and everything, the lights and all that stuff. It's yeah, it's just That's terrible. That's so debilitating, you know. It, but at the same time, though, I just love looking up, looking outside, and, and seeing this beautiful place I live in. I love looking at nature and stuff. You like could that. still appreciate the other things that you can. Yeah. Yeah, I just can't listen to your music. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll, hey, we'll, I mean, we're not we're not having any festivals anytime soon, anyway. So oh, it's, it'll be on hold. But but I did look at with the, with the audio off uh, at some of these concerts that you're talking about, and boy, there's a lot of energy. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the other thing is the, the people there. It's like there's an energy like no other. You yeah, know? and it just if, you can't help it. It just pumps you up, you know, and. Um, I don't know. I, there's something about electronic dance music. Uh, I'm just always going to go back to that. To, if I'm ever feeling down, I go to that. I feel great. Well, that'll definitely cheer you up quite a bit. Just not with a brain injury. No, no, <laughs> no. I mean, do you see yourself um, in this career for the rest of your life or do you, do you want to explore other avenues? I don't know. I've been thinking about it recently and I've thought about other things that I was interested in, but I don't know. I'm really split on a fence right now, you know, because part of me is like, well, you know, you're really good at this and you do kind of like it, you know, maybe you should just keep doing it and, you know, try different jobs in the field and, you know, you're empathetic. Every, you know, 
people see that it makes a difference. But then the other part of me is like, well, you know, maybe you should go into your other interests and try and explore that a little bit more. So I, I don't know. I'm really on the fence about it. I like to go into photography a mm. little bit more, or, well. you know, video and stuff like that. But I don't know. In my head, I kind of, I guess you could say I put barriers up, you know, and make excuses for why I don't want to do that, you know, whether it be money or uh, whatever it is, you know. So I, I don't know. Right now, I guess I'm at a crossroads. It's it's hard to make these decisions. I mean, because we we always hear about the Tony Robbins being successful and this person being being successful, we don't hear enough about the people's failures. And I think we need to hear a lot more of them because then we can learn from that and not make those make those mistakes. But we don't celebrate the failures, don't you think? Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, the the only time I can think of that people sometimes talk about the failures is at the TED talks. Yeah, you know, sometimes those people mention, oh, they explain their story and they said, oh, this. I learned from this experience or whatever it is, but you're right. I think that there should be more of it. No. Was there, is that the point where you were afraid to fail and, and recover from recital when you were, when you're performing piano, were you, were you afraid of failing? Uh, I just wanted to, I just wanted to play my, I wanted, what I wanted is I wanted to play like just how I did, you know, by myself and, you know just do it and it sounded great and i knew it sounded great but it's just different you know when, it, when you get up there in front of the, all the people then your anxiety kicks in and at that age you know once my anxiety kicked in it was like oh well you're just kind of at its uh, mercy at that point so it's just like you have to play like in a tense mode the whole time and be like well i gotta try my best and you know it did come out good but of course it's not going to be the same as when it was naturally playing in a more comfortable setting yeah and were you was there um was there pressure for you to to be at your best or you just you just like no that was me self-imposed yeah. yeah i've just always been hard on myself well not to be a jerk but how'd that work out for you <laughs> <laughs> it's something i still struggle with to this day uh, maybe not as much <laughs> but I, i'm just i'm just generally kind of hard on myself so I mean, you you know the the science behind that is that you you the more you are, the kind of you you may gain one percent, but you can gain five percent more if you're not as hard. But so do you do you, you find it very difficult to find the that that space in between where you want to push yourself but at the same time give yourself some some comfort? I think it's gotten yeah. I, I would say in the past like two three years, I've finally gotten to the point where. I can usually let go and be like, you know what? Like, no, you did this, you know, you really tried and it's okay, you know, move on. Uh, every once in a while, you know, I catch myself like, you know, really being like, no, come on, what, what, what are you doing? You know, why, why aren't you putting in two more hours in, into this thing? But I'd say over the past couple of years, that's thankfully gotten easier. I don't think, I can't really attribute to anything in particular, maybe just experience of going through it so many times. Mm. You know, right. So, what style of meditation do you practice? Uh, I don't think there's a particular style. Based uh, when I go back to on the sometimes when I do is I just say a simple mantra, something I was taught in high school. Uh, I believe it was Sama Araham, which is mm -hmm. the, the statement, and it just basically means you know quiet mind. Mm -hmm. So. You know, you could say that out loud or you could say it in your head. Usually I just say it in my head, you know, focus on my breathing, slow it down. 
and really the hardest part, obviously, is just stopping the thoughts, whatever thoughts they are. And when, once you get to the spot where you stop the thoughts, that's when things get easier, you know, that's mm. the hardest part. Then your mind's quiet and you just relax, you know? Uh, and I, I, that's probably for some reason, or for some reason, I guess that's for people. I don't really know how you teach that, you know, they, they just got to keep trying to practice it because mm. like minds, the, the thoughts just kind of pop in, you know, they mm. call it a monkey mind. Mm-hmm. that's what uh, my old you know my teacher used to call it and it's like no matter how hard, how hard you try it's like okay you think your mind's getting quiet and it's like oh I start thinking about this from a week ago it could be mm-hmm. completely random it's like oh and it might take you like another minute to like refocus and be like oh okay let's no 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 <laughs> don't want to think about that <laughs> yeah um, but it seems like the there's a the the, the perfect trifecta for making for giving you peace and your peace of mind peace of life and everything has been meditation marijuana and your job it's definitely been a balance yeah i mean i i I gotta say that for the job my philosophy is when you when you're at your job you know you put your hundred percent in obviously but you do it like you gotta want to do it you know at least in my field if i was in something different um, like construction or, you know, uh, something more hands-on and I'm not, you know, necessarily having to put emotional, uh, my emotional side into it, or, you know, thinking mm-hmm. about things, my psyche, it's more just hands-on stuff. If it mm-hmm. was that, then that's something people don't realize. You could just meditate and work if you're doing like, uh, let's say landscaping. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's just about doing it uh, and being thoughtful about your actions and always being in the moment, you know, being aware. And I don't know if like mental awareness is something you could teach. What do you think? I mean, I, the few times I've gone to therapy, it was always the same message was, was the same thing, which was be aware of what you're doing. Be aware of what you're doing. Be aware of what you're doing. And then when you do become aware of what you're doing, you can look back on it and say, Oh, I did that. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you always want that situation uh, to transform you. And we always think it's going to be like this hallelujah, I found Jesus moment, but really it's, it's like every single day. You have to continue oh, being really aware. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you just become aware of it. Like, Oh, I should not have been doing that. And the hardest part for me has been now that I'm aware of what I was doing, the hard part has been forgiving myself for doing it. Uh, so like a guilty conscience. Oh yeah, very much so. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's just like if I was aware of what I was doing at the time, there's no way I would have done that. Yeah, that's a tough thing. I don't really have an answer for guilt. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people live with guilt, and you know, it's, it's, it can be a tough thing to let go. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you just you, you always hope that you you were a better state of mind to have done that. But you know, now that I am, I wish you know, wish I didn't do those things. Especially spend the money I spent. God, I wish I didn't do that. <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, I've, I've definitely lost some money in places. I wish I would have gone back and not spent it. But I guess we learn our lessons. Yeah, yeah. It just, it was just, it was hard not to spend money during the coronavirus. You know, it's like the two months down. It was like always, always on Amazon. You shouldn't say something. that. You shouldn't say that out there. People are. Some people are not going to like that. They're going to be like, "What are you talking about?" You know, I lost everything. You're talking about how I 
it was hard to not to spend money. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I just like I thought, oh, it'll be there. I'll manage it better, and that was not the case. It's like, oh, oh okay. yeah, like, yeah, oh, you know, damn. before you know, the, all the talk about people having an emergency savings and stuff, mm-hmm. I was like half serious about it before the coronavirus and then the coronavirus happened. I was like, wow, this is real good reason for an emergency savings. <laughs> so absolutely. Then it made me completely rethink that. So I mean, the emergency savings could be put towards uh, when you want to change careers and you really need to do it right away. And you know, that's true. You're in. You want something, you want something different. You got some, yeah. Something to live on for a year. Or if you have an accident or if you had to take care of a loved one for a few months or yeah, there's many different situations. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've had to do that a few times. That was that was uh, that was not not fun. Uh, but um, so, what college did you end up going to? Being that you went to a preparatory school, well, I ended up going to Penn State. So, oh wow, it, it wasn't my first choice, but um, considering uh, I, it was a good experience. So, uh, but basically, my SAT scores could have been better. That's mm-hmm. what the colleges thought. So. Uh, huh. Yeah, I ended up going to Penn State. I go, went to a couple of years at a satellite campus in Wilkes-Barre, PA. And then after two years, I went to University Park, their main campus, mm. which I don't know if you know anything about, but it's a very large campus. It's like usually have 45,000 students or 40 plus thousand students, undergraduates. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, I've been to Penn State. It's a big ass campus. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah, it's a good. It was pretty cool. I mean, they had some great professors. Uh, I learned a lot there. Um, I, I didn't go to as many football games as other people, but man, they had some. They definitely had an atmosphere at that place. It's like its own little world. Speaking of football, what was the atmosphere like after the scandal came out about the the, the coaches? Oh man, that was yeah, and I was going right through it at the time. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, I think that. It was interesting, you know, because sometimes it would come up in class, some of the professors and, you know, they would do it, you know, they'd maybe gloss on it for a period of time in a very diplomatic way, you know, being sensitive to the situation. We didn't, not all of us knew exactly what was going on. Mm. Um, but I think basically if, if it's put to put in a nutshell, it felt like a big dark cloud was hanging all over all of our heads and there really wasn't much that we could do about it, you know, because as students, I mean, you know, none of us really know, knew that that was going on. And uh, I know that none of the students liked it. And, mm. you know, now it's just something where, you know, when you go to people that you say you go to Penn State, and you're going to have to have that conversation. And it's not an easy conversation to have. And it's like, sometimes you want to be right about something, but sometimes it's not about being right. It's just about uh, saying, hey, I don't know everything that's going on. I don't prove if that happened and it's sad if it did. And you know, who, who wants to have that conversation? Nobody. I mean, do, do, do people, you must wear like a Penn state clothing because if you've gone to a football game, you must have a couple, couple uh, items. I, I think the only thing I have right now is a, um, I have a, a, a winter cap, Every once in a while I wear, I don't think it's ever to the point where, so, so I'm not usually, I think your question would be like, you know, do you ever still have people that come up to you? And ask? Yeah, yeah. So I don't usually have that. I'm not usually wearing Penn state stuff. So I don't know. I, I know when I did, I don't think I had too many people really approach me at the time back in the days. Um, but it was just, it was more something like I was at like a family gathering or 
seeing some close friends or something and they've, you know, I mentioned I go to Penn state and they would just be like, Oh, well, you know, what do you think about it? Like how hard were things going over there? You know, and I would just tell them, you know, how things are going on the campus and that I think it was, you know, crappy situation. Mm. And that's really all you can say, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it was awful. It was awful. I mean, it's awful that it happened. It was even worse that it was covered up. Yeah. It was, it was, it was really, really painful to watch. I know that there were riots there and I'm, I'm sure you were not part of those riots. No, no, (laughs) sure. Surely I wasn't, but uh, yeah, yeah. I happened to be away. I, I think it was like on a weekend. Uh, there was like one or two nights that you're, I think you're referencing like right after everything started breaking out. That that was bad. Yeah. They took down light poles and stuff. Uh, I don't know how many people were injured if there were injuries, but that's because they, no, they, they, they took down the statue, correct? Oh, is that what it was in response to? Was them taking the statue away? Probably that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's a, that's a, that's a touchy subject too. You know, a lot of, a lot of people think, well, you know, that man, he made history, you know, he's been there so many years and, uh, you know, for one action now you're going to basically, people would argue, you know, erase history in a sense. So that's, that's always a very um, dividing uh, thing. I don't know. I still don't even know where I stand on it. I, I kind of, I, I, maybe I kind of lean with them, you know, maybe they should have left the statue. Um, but I don't know. Well, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, he he knew about it. He he didn't say anything. He didn't do anything. Um, I I think that if you're going to be a winner on the field, you need you need to be a winner off the field. Um, I think uh, my my favorite player of all time is this um, a Barcelona player. He's a defender, named uh, Carlos Puyol. And um, when he's on the pitch, he's an animal. When he's off the pitch, he's a really kind, sweet man. Mm. And I I think that if you're going to lead, you need to lead by example. And that's in character and everything. And it's not just about winning. If, yeah. if you if you win if you win the game, but you lose your soul, like what have you won? Right. Yeah. So he did. So so because so, this is again, excuse me, my mind. So he never reported to the campus. It was just the campus police, and he never went to um, like the local authorities. I think is what the situation was. That, yeah, that's that's what I read. You know, that's what I read and what what I hear and what's actually yeah. true are so many different things. Um, but if, if what I read and understood is correct, then he knew about it and he just was concerned with winning anyway. So yeah, and I'll say, given like all those things, if those all those things are true, then yes, I would agree that by all means, you know, he should have done something, and uh, you know, being quiet is can be just as bad as the problem itself. So yeah, yeah, it's it, it's um at at the harm of children and scarring them for the rest of their lives. That no, no, no championship's no. worth that. You know, no, no, definitely nothing not. is worth that. No, not a billion or trillion dollars is worth har- harming a child. It's just- yeah, and that's the thing. Think about the the uh, PSU football. I mean that that is an influence and and mm. the money that's put into that. I mean it's just astronomical. So, you know, part it's kind of not surprising that you know some of these things happen sometimes. Maybe there's not enough oversight. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know, but I mean, luckily it ended up being uncovered. Yeah. Uh, so, but I also think it's very hypocritical that people are pointing the fingers at at, at, at um, Penn State University for this incident when, for for hundreds of years, priests have been molesting children and getting away with it. Oh yeah. Well, 
I think I think a lot of people have outspoken about that now, right? There's it's been I think it took until to something to the mid two thousands until people started trying to speak out about that. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's still like a huge widespread problem that even though we might hear somebody every once in a while that it's not going on behind closed doors and there really should be there has to be something done about that. Um but yeah. that but like you said, those people have incredible power and incredible influence. Um, and they're religious leaders. So that's mm-hmm. a very difficult thing to address when you're, when you go into religion. It's probably why we haven't, you know, made much progress on it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, my whole thing is I, I don't care what you believe in. You want to believe in the tooth fairy. You want to believe in any of that stuff, but just don't make me believe your policies. Right. And, and yeah. if, if, if you want to believe in Jesus and God, not to say that it didn't happen or like whatever, if that's your thing and that's what gets you going through the day, Totally yeah. fine. That's great. But just don't make, don't ask me to believe it. Right. You know, just don't ask that me. That comes to back to separation of church and state. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's, that there's a reason for that. You know, the church should not have influence over state. That's what happened with, with uh, Catholicism in, uh, in Europe. It had a huge yeah. influence. And you can't have that again. So I can't um, remember the last time I heard somebody talking about separation of church <laughs> and state. But, you know, it's funny because it's just like, it really is the, you know, important, you know, but. Not always talked about. Well, I mean, I, I believe I've got a couple of years on you. Um, I grew up in the my, the early seventies, and uh, to to witness what I seen, witness then to see what I see now: legalization of gay marriage, legalization of in some states cannabis, blows my mind. Absolutely, blows my mind. Just this the pro- there's just the fact of how much progress or how many changes have been made since then. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. the progress is like it's it's crazy. It's because this country was solid right, was really right, and to see that pendulum being lifted off there and going towards center and going a little yeah. bit towards the left is just remarkable. It really yeah. is. Yeah, I, I have to agree. There there really have been some great achievements over the past thirty years or even forty years. So, uh, but yeah, I was born in nineteen ninety, so you have a few yeah. years of it. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just it's just funky how how much like we from my point of view we've improved we've got so far to go we've got mm. so ridiculously far to go as a country as a nation and getting along with each other but you know we we've we've done quite a bit yeah it's I I'm I'm glad because there was no such thing about talking about Buddhism there was no such thing at all there was every single day it was occupied by the uh, 700 Club, which is a, a Christian Christian uh, TV show. I Jimmy remember Swagger. back like in the early days when that was on, is that still on cable? Oh, I, I have no idea. Probably, could... it was like really early in the morning and uh, yeah. I was a little kid up, I was like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, but it was, it was a big thing. It was huge. I mean, Jimmy Swaggart, every single day he was on there. It was, it was Jerry Falwell, they were big. And you, you would not be elected president if you didn't get the nod from Billy Graham. Really? Yep, you would not be, you would not get it. And uh, he was a big influence. He he would tell all the Christians, vote for Reagan, vote for, you know, he was big. He had a lot of influence. And um, I think even the church has, has made some, um, you know, uh, what I want to say, like changes in what they're willing to uh, tolerate, so to speak. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, they can be quite um, rigid. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that's good. I mean, I would think there would be kind of a um, a therapy set up for people who were how to deal with the with the 
psychological tortures of, of, of some religions. Um, is, is there, are there courses out there or therapists out there who deal with that? You know, I never even thought about that, but it's an incredibly good point though. Cause if you think about it, they probably have, I'd imagine there's so many people that have cognitive dissonance on some of the values that, you know, their particular religion may exert as comparison to their personal values. So. Right. Because a lot of times there's, there's what you need to do as a human being and you need to make some ugly choices. And there's times where there's the right thing to do. And if you do it, you're going to, there's going to be irreparable consequences. So there needs to be human decisions made before, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of ranting about it. I'm just, I'm, I've had to deal with it all my life. And I'm just glad that, that, the, that people are getting help and it's not based on go to church, like getting right. actual help, you know, getting it's, real it sound, help. It sounds like what, what, you, what you're saying is that um, given this, uh, you know, situation, everything, should be more okay. Let's let's take it as like an individual circumstance. Let's not paint like a broad brush and say this is how we're going to approach things. Where you know you don't know how uh, you know. I mean, it's a very difficult thing to articulate because you know it, it could be anything. A nuanced social interaction with somebody and you don't know how to respond, or it could be a law that you don't know if you want to support it or not. Uh, but you don't know if you want to, you know, go against what your religion says, uh, you know, you should do. But at the same time, you might want to do something different. I, you think it's, like you said, for the good, for the greater good or what you think is right. Mm -hmm. So it's a good question, though. I don't know. I've never even heard of something like that, but that wouldn't be a bad idea. Yeah, I, I just know from my own experience that, that I've met people that were, that were gay, grew up in churches, and they're, they're constantly being told that they're bad because they're gay and, and how much that deeply, deeply affected them. That's like a super uh, clear example of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely used to hear about that. Uh, but have they made, I think they are a bit more flexible on that now, whether that like, it, so, so correct me if I'm wrong, but so if you're gay now, you can still, um, you know, practice that religion and you're accepted or i mean i feel like there's part of it where they're not inclusive how well, is it well I'm, I'm not too sure it's been a while since i've been in church yeah 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 i mean i i don't know where it was recently but i did hear that they were you know more accepting or they're going to recognize uh homosexuality i think it was the catholic church that they're going to recognize mm -hmm. homosexuality as not a disease mm -hmm. because remember they were classifying it i think as a disease yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, yeah. yeah. Well, in the sixties, they classified it as disease as well, correct? Yeah, it was back then. That's yeah. when they were, they did it. So I think uh, we might have to fact check, but I'm pretty sure recently they they took that back. They said, okay, we're not going to classify it as a disease. And if that's true, then you know that would be quite a bit of progress. That doesn't mean that they don't have their own thoughts about it, right. you know, and differences. But I think that's definitely progress. You know, not classifying it as a disease. What, you so only recently they they had they took it they took it away as not being a disease, I believe so. Yeah, I, I want to say it was uh was only maybe three four years ago. Oh my god! Say. Yeah, <laughs> that should have been gone. That should never. Well, I want I want to look it up to make sure I know the yeah. facts now on it. But um, you know, think about what you're doing if you classify it as a, as a disease. Exactly. You know, it's not. It's just not right. Well, speaking of not right, did you know that, that marijuana is 
is a class one um, category, which means that it's actually... Don't remind me. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, what the hell? I know, yeah. You you know, it's like you and I reaching out and and, and bonding over a couple of states over Zoom all because of of marijuana. Yeah, I can see we're promoting aggression and bad behavior. uh, (laughs) You know, like we're being awful to each other, you you know. Um, It's like, what the hell? You know? Yeah. Yeah, so it's, I, I got to say with all the other like progress that's been made with marijuana, like on a state level, it's mm-hmm. like it baffles me that it's still at a category one for the federal. It's like, yeah. what the heck are you guys doing? What's going on? <laughs> I mean, when, I, when, corona, when the corona ban was lifted and we came back to work, I cannot tell you how many people were, were saying, I'm so glad you're open. I'm so glad you're open. Yeah. I, I, I can't take this medication. It really messes me up and I need, I need marijuana. It was like the relief on their faces was, I wish I could, t- I took pictures of their faces just like, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to get relief. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's sad, you know, that, it, that it's still so hard for some people to get. And um, it's a shame, you know, because it's, it's such a great medicine in, in some cases for, you know, a variety of different illnesses. And I think the hardest thing is getting rid of the stigma. You know, it's just, it's still here. And it's like, I thought by 2020, we would have been farther than we're at. Uh, Because I I remember when I was like, you know, 19 years old thinking, oh, well, I was really cynical at that point thinking like, oh, it's going to be a long time until we even get any changes on this stuff, if we get any. And then a few days on the road, I started thinking, well, maybe we'll make some progress, maybe 10 years or something. But now we're like, you know, 2020 and we still have a lot of states that aren't legal, like mm. even decriminalized. And I don't know. I guess, I, I guess it's just going to take a lot longer than yeah. people anticipate. Yeah. And then it's sad. It really is sad because I mean, if marijuana was legalized in New York state, it, it would just change a lot of things. It would change everything. Um, and if it was if it was legalized everywhere, it would change so many different things. It would. We're going to go into a really big depression next year because of all the spending that's been going on and all the money. Um, mm. We're gonna we're gonna hit a depression, and it's not going to be good. Well, and, I, had, I do have some good news for you though, because uh, I'm in Pennsylvania, and the governor, uh, our governor is Governor Wolf, and he's you know he's never really given us a clear answer. He's never really been for legalization, um, but it was because of coronavirus that he ended up thinking, well, you know, maybe we should consider this like maybe. And then, so recently he said, okay, we're going to, we're going to look into now actually legalizing recreational use. Cause we have medical, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, but he's thinking about legalizing now recreational use for the tax revenue, of course, you know, try and bring us out of, uh, you know, this difficult time that the state's going to be having because, um, different restrictions and shutdowns from the virus. So, mm. I mean, it took a, it took a virus, you know, tons of deaths and stuff for people <laughs> to start considering this uh, right. amazing, but that did happen. So that, that makes me hopeful. Yeah. Well, that's good. I, I love hearing stuff like that. I really do. And how, how, did they give a timeline if they were to, uh, if they were to legalize it? Uh, when- I, I don't think he gave a timeline. If he did, I didn't, I didn't get to see what it would be. Um, but the fact that he's changed his mind a little bit is, you know, something. Yeah. But that's the other thing is how long it takes some of these policies to go into play. And then what do they want to tax it? At? How do they do want, do they want a, uh, well, what state was it that they ended up not passing it? Was it like Ohio or something? Because yeah, it was going to be yeah. just a few of them that were going to control um, the prices and, and, and things. I don't, 
Oh yeah, yeah. It was set, it was set up to where it was going to be big business, and people like yeah. we want to legalize marijuana, but we don't want to have just not in that way. Not in that way. Yeah, no. yeah. And that was that was a sneaky way of trying trying to gain control over it. It's like, well, how bad you want it? Not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> not that bad. And yeah. they could have probably got they they almost uh, probably got away with that because <laughs> you know almost so many it was, so many people want it that they'll be like, well, whatever, you know, I'll just vote anyway. Yeah, because it's you know time it's time it happens. So. Is, is your family accepting of uh, your marijuana use? Uh, well, they're kind of a mixed bag on it, to be honest. Uh, I'd say my father's a bit more understanding than my mother. Um, mm. But, you know, they, they were brought up differently. So I'm not expecting uh, them to completely understand it. It's a different era, you know. Yeah. What about you? How, how was your experience with family and accepting um, it? Well, I, I grew up a right-wing uh, Christian and uh, well, I went to church three times a week and watched Billy Graham and all that shit during the week. And uh, so marijuana use was definitely not on the top, top tier list. Um, yeah. I believed all the crap as well. So I, I really didn't start actually smoking or getting involved in marijuana until about seven, eight years ago. Um, I had tried it in the past and I, I had really crappy weed. I had like brick, um, you know, just some awful weed. And then I stopped doing it. it didn't like it. And, <laughs> yeah, of course. If you get, you know, just, if you get that, that's a terrible introduction. Yeah. It's like, geez, man, you know, it's, it, it actually made me nuts. It actually made me more paranoid than anything else. Yeah. I just, it was terrible. And, um, I finally got some good weed and like, Oh, this is what everyone's been talking about. Yeah. So, you know, before you know, here I'm eight years later creating a podcast <laughs> about marijuana yeah. and, and how great it is. Yeah. yeah, I don't but, know. I, you know, I think I think part of it is the smell. You know, if you're not smoking it, it's really a smelly thing, and people don't like that. So I feel like if we could get past that, maybe people wouldn't really be so bothered by it because it's like you know, I could take an edible, and you wouldn't even really know. You know, yeah. like I mean, it's amazing how great somebody could function on this yeah. stuff as comparison to like alcohol. For sure, absolutely. And the funny thing is, like with the, the vape cartridges, if you have you have you ever had uh, the vape cartridges before? Yeah, I've, yeah, I've tried them. Yeah, yeah, they really don't smell that much. No, no, they're pretty yeah. good about that. And um, what do you like? When my mom, on my dad's side of the family, like my mom's side of the family was definitely puritanical. You know, don't smoke, don't drink, and all that other crap. Um, even though they had their past and everything, but on my on my dad's side of the family, uh, my my Puerto Rican family, oh yeah, we smoke. <laughs> Oh, we smoke so the complete opposite. Oh yeah. Yeah. We it's, I, I don't, there's a couple of things about my family that if, if I wasn't accepted, if I didn't do, I wouldn't be accepted. And that would be marijuana use. That would be liking boxing and uh, liking MMA. Yeah. You know, all my, all my families are lovers and fighters. So. So it's just a tradition for them. Yeah. A very yeah. strong tradition. Yeah. That's helped out. We, we have, uh, we have a lot of uh, physical ailments that, that uh, hinder our progress, you know, so it helps out. With I got to say, yeah, some of the strains do great things for back pain. Cause I've, I've had a bad back uh, undetermined why I, I've had a slight thing of scoliosis, but the doctors still say that that's not it. Um, I think it's like a, a joint that I have like an extra small piece of bone by the tailbone that adds a little bit of pressure on a joint or something. So I think we're mm -hmm. finally getting to the source of it after many, many, many years. But yes, yeah, some marijuana strains are really effective uh, for pain. I gotta say. Oh yeah, very much so. Yeah. And how much did that play with your mind when it took you so long to figure out what it was? Uh, well, to be honest, I gave up for a long time because mm. uh, 
we started looking at it, you know, when I was 14 to 16, got an MRI done and stuff. And they said, oh, you know, you might grow older and it might straighten out, might not. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll just put up with the pain. You know, I've been putting up for, for this long, like what's the difference? Hmm. But then, you know, when I, I think it was like 23, 24, I was in college sitting long periods of time. It just kept getting worse. I couldn't ignore it anymore. So I had to start, start taking muscle relaxers for a little period of time, got off those, uh, you know, and all the meanwhile, like I was smoking and I did notice that it did help when it did smoke. So I kept that in the back of my mind. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I just kind of put it off and thinking maybe I could just live with the pain because uh, I had been for so long. But once I got worse, I just couldn't ignore it anymore. I had to address it. Yeah. Yeah. And how long was that process? Was it a couple of years when you, when you finally started like this, I can't ignore it anymore? Yeah, I started to realize it, like I said, when I was about 23 years old. That's when I started to think about it <laughs> again. Mm-hmm. Feel like yeah, yeah. Eh, maybe I should start. And then I'd say two years ago, I started actually doing all the procedures, injections, going through all the process of what mm-hmm. I need to do to try and address it. And it hasn't helped yet um, to what it should. But like I said, you have to go through, you know, insurances, you got to go through lots of different steps to finally get to a surgery that is probably what I need. Uh, well, well, I think they're just going to basically burn off the nerve endings that are around that joint or attached yeah. to it. So. Yeah. How long would the recovery be on that? I, from what I understand, I don't think it's too long, like a couple of weeks or something like that. Oh, that's good. Um, but it's not, yeah, it's not like a major, it's not anything. Uh, or there's also a possibility that they could, they, they could just remove the small piece of bone that's on there that shouldn't be there. So, yeah, I'm not quite sure what we're going to do with that yet. But I do know that in the meantime, like marijuana does help uh, uh, supplement the pain. Um, and the edibles last a lot longer. Obviously. Yeah. 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 What do you think of it? You have any favorites? Oh yeah. Yeah. We got uh, this company called uh, Incredibles. My God, everything they produce. And they've, they've been around for a while. That's what, that's why I like them quite a bit. Um, they've been around. They've got five good flavors, five, I think. Yeah. They're all really good. Um, I another they had one, quite a few chocolates, right? They yeah. They, chocolate bars. Yeah. They have a base state bar, which is kind of like your um, pretzel and pretzel and uh uh, chocolate. Um, they have a strawberry. They have avocado, which is like a vanilla latte. Um, oh, it's delicious. That it's sounds so good. good. Yeah, it's but delicious. But you know, the thing I worry about the chocolate is, you know, you kind of want to eat the whole chocolate bar. <laughs> That's <know>? the problem. <laughs> I mean, the good thing is it's five milligrams. So, you know, it's... it's oh, they're small amount. Yeah, they're very, very small amounts. So they, it's some, some you don't really get too, too much of an effect from because it's just such a small amount. Mm-hmm. Um, other ones you can get we can get a pretty good effect. We can get a really good one. Um, but so I, what was your favorite bay, you think, out of all the edibles you guys ooh. got? I haven't had quite a lot of them. I've had some. Um, yeah. it's, it's, when you come back up, um, there's another company called Betty's Eddie's. They taste like taffy. They got like taffy uh, edibles. And usually when um, the great thing about uh, these edibles is that you – you can't taste the THC. Like some, like some edibles, you can kind of taste it and get the little tiny you know, bit. Yeah. Of, yeah. The piney taste, whatever. Um, but not, not with these, it's really good. It's mm. really, I, I recommend those. Um, but next time you come up, we, we just got the string called lime, lime skunk, lime, lime funk skunk. Boy, is it wow. good. Boy, What's the name good. too. Yeah. I mean, does that's it, what does it smell. Does it smell exactly like it sounds? Yeah. 
That's yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, it's delicious. It's absolutely delicious. It's is um, it a hybrid? Um, sativa leaning hybrid. Okay. Sativa leaning, leaning very much so. Um, okay, cool. Because I had it last night when I came home from work, and uh, I was like, "Oh, we've been all my life." <laughs> <laughs> so it's my new favorite. Because normally I'm not, I'm not a big fan of hybrids, but this one, this one's really good. How much have you educated yourself when it comes to uh, marijuana and the products? Um, I think probably a bit more than most people, uh, just because I smoke it. So you know, over the years, I've looked up random stuff about it. You know how the compounds are how that works and research and how they have a lot of research to go. Um, but I don't know. I feel like I have a general sense of, of what marijuana is and how it interacts with the body. I'm assuming you, you must be at least on expert level because you're at a dispensary. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm shamefully the, the dumbest uh, person there when it comes to marijuana. Um, well, you have to I, know a decent amount, right? Oh, oh, for sure. Yeah. I know. I know a decent amount for sure. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people there, the old school growers who, that threw seeds in the back of the yard and did what they could to, you know, grow their own and yeah. rather than keep going to dealers and stuff like that. So you have people who've been in it, in it for a while. Like they, they've, they've, they've known what they want to do for a long time. And that's cool. Yeah. But you have a lot of people out there like that. You have a lot of people that it's, it's really not about the money. We just want to be able to sell you really good weed, really good quality stuff and something that we truly passionately believe in. Before you know it, it's like I'm enjoying going to work. Hmm. You know, I'm enjoying going to work. Yeah, and it makes a difference to people you work with, you know, how they treat you and exactly. all that. I could say the same thing about my company. I mean, that's why I'm still there. I couldn't be more happy where I work, you know. I mean, they treat us so good. They recognize the hard work we put in, hmm. and that just means so much, you know. So I think some employers don't – all it takes is every once in a while, just let somebody know, you know, Hey, I just want to let you know, you're doing a great job. Um, you know, we appreciate what you're doing. You know, let us know if you need anything, just little things like that. People don't think about it, but it goes a long way. Yeah, it really does. I mean, just to, just to even how, how are you doing and being genuine about it? Right. Well, if someone actually is concerned for me, not like an empty gesture, like really right. caring. Yeah. Yeah, like, and sometimes it happens at work. Like, hey, how you doing? What about then? It goes right into what they wanted. You know, I, <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah. You can okay. tell when they don't care. Yeah, it's just like, okay, you want something done? That's fine. You're just being pleasant. That's totally fine. I laugh about it anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's great. It's just it's. I wish more companies behave and act this way. Yeah, it takes some special people, but they are out there. They are, and the, and the thing is, like, how do you cultivate that? How do you cultivate that kind of behavior and that attitude? Well, again, I can only think of leading by example. I can't really think of any other ways to try to, you know, get that out there and be like, hey, be a good person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you know it's, it's funny. I, I knew you were going to say that. That's why I asked that question. It's like, that. because <laughs> I, I, I because, yeah, no, because he, it's, it's, it's because I wanted to end this with, you know, just that, like they, they've come full circle to the, the ultimate thing is it's only how you control yourself. Mm. It's always going to be about that. It's always going to be about how you lead by example how you are and yeah, how you we react. can't control what other people do what other people think we can only control what we can do yeah yeah man it's been great i really really appreciated this it's uh getting to know you the, the part of pennsylvania and your life and what led you to marijuana and and uh you know bringing the world together that's what i think this this plan's going to do it's going to bring peace to this world and i strongly believe it 
Awesome. Yeah. And thanks for having me on, Chris. I think it's that this is also like a good thing that you're doing the podcast, you know, getting the word out people's experiences. It's all valuable. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I, I see that I, I love empathetic people because it's you, you see that, you see that big picture, you see what's happening. And I, I, and I'm so happy that you did this because uh, you're, you're part of the big picture and I really appreciate it. Well, thanks, Chris. I mean, if, if uh, more people want to come on, you want to come back on, I'm more, more than happy to have you on. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll let some of my friends know about this. Sweet deal, my man. Join you. You take care. Thank you very much again. All right. Thanks, Chris. All right. Bye-bye. See ya. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to our website, thefullpodcast.com, and follow us. We'd appreciate your support. More episodes are soon on their way.